Hey everybody, welcome to the show. Before the show, I'm Armando Torres. And I'm Paige Wesley. And with us we have... Boobs! That's right, this is the most titty-filled fucking episode you'll ever see, baby. We got... Yeah. And, and if you're not watching the video version of this podcast, then you can go to Pornhub.com slash Podcast, baby. Yes, yes. <laughs> Cult boobcast. Oh, absolutely. No, there's no video version of the podcast, thank God. Um, and uh, We look too frazzled all the time. Yeah, absolutely. Plus, I would never get away with this many titties surrounding me. Hello. Yeah, and but. I can't reveal the secrets of my yarn wall. Mm. But we are here to talk about Burning Man. Woo! I did that earlier in the episode too. Whatever. Yeah, you're gonna hear that joke again in 45 seconds. In 45 seconds. Just whenever I hear Burning Man, Darude just plays in the background in my brain. Oh man. Well, hey, before we get into the episode, just wanted to tell you if you want to support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash cult podcast. And also Paige is going to Tokyo. I'm going to rise from the sea, like burgeoned by some sort of like nuclear thing, mm -hmm. and then I'm going to stomp through the buildings and then raise my reptile head to the sky and scream a beam of light. Mm. And between that, she'll be doing some comedy. Correct. Mm -hmm. Just Godzilla being like, who drives for Uber? <laughs> so airplane food is weird as he eats an actual airplane. <laughs> Dating in Tokyo, tough, right? I mean, she lives on the other side of town. It's like three steps. Uh. <laughs> if you want more information on how to watch Paige do stand-up, you can go to... My Instagram, at Rampage Wesley. Exactly. And uh, I think with that, let's hop into the show. Hello. 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 Yeah. That's my Godzilla noise. Don't drink the Kool-Aid. For the purposes of this podcast, we define a cult as organizations that rally behind an entity or leader who espouse beliefs outside the norm. Organizations that require physical or monetary sacrifice as a condition of membership. Organizations in which the doctrines followed by the leaders are different than that of the followers. Organizations in which isolation is encouraged either by commune living or by a policy of disconnection from outside relationships. And organizations that actively recruit new members. All cults might have some or all of these traits. And as always, these, these are, are our opinions. opinions. Thank you for tuning into Cult Podcast. I'm Paige Wesley. And I'm Armando Torres. And with us we have... A Man on Fire. Mm -hmm. uh, and this mm -hmm. one takes two meanings. One, uh, both the literal uh, conversation that we're going to have about what we're covering, mm -hmm. but also my fucking asshole, Paige. <laughs> I... Did you go eat? Did you just like bathe in a bucket of Torchy's queso? Like, what did you do to cause this? I know it's your fault. I it know it was fault. you. It was, it's entirely my fault. I um I went to a restaurant that I will not name uh, because I've eaten there before. It's a small restaurant. It's fine. But basically, I went there and I got some tacos. And I when I took them out, I went... 
this smells funny. I'm sure it's fine. And then it oh, was no. clearly it was not aggressively fine. not fine. Yeah, it was a no. clearly it was aggressively not fine. I guess any the only thing I would try to suggest to anyone out there listening is that um maybe don't trust fish from a hole in the wall restaurant in landlocked Austin, Texas. <laughs> Yeah, no, don't do that. <laughs> yeah, uh, I spent uh, most of the last two days just kind of vomiting and pooping. And I told Paige this, but uh, I kind of ran out of weed vapes here um, because <laughs> they're, weirdly enough, illegal. And so... Yeah, uh, super illegal in Texas. <laughs> yeah, yeah. One of the things that I did find... Um, was this very uh, scary looking bottle that I'm holding up for Paige to see. Yeah, it um, looks like the thing that the apothecary gave Juliet to pretend she was dead. <laughs> like, that's what it looks like. It looks like it doesn't look like a thing to get high. It looks like Eye of Newt. Like, it looks like you were making spells in a cauldron. Yeah, I bought this uh, in Los Angeles years ago. And I mean, from years a witch ago. or in a store. <laughs> you know I, that both of those are options. <laughs> I bought it from a traveling wanderer um, who who all he said was your firstborn child. And I was like, do you take tap pay or like what's the <laughs> like, is cash app or Venmo? It's kind of weird. <laughs> I just I don't know. OK, man, whatever you say. Um, and on that same note, Johnny, if you're listening, I miss you. And I wish that I hadn't traded you for THC. Um, <laughs> Johnny, interesting. I would have thought it would have been a little bit wilder, like a tray you or cheese <laughs> or something, you know, well, unique, but that you love. Yeah. I would never want to name my son cheese because then just like my stomach, he would destroy me. Uh, I've well, learned I'm pretty my sure lesson. at some point you'll grow up and go out for cigarettes <laughs> I went out for six. Yeah, that's a lie you can't tell your kids in California anymore because they're pretty much fucking illegal. <laughs> yeah, they're like, you can't afford that shit, Dad. <laughs> um, God, no, I, I, so I bought this THC oil, and to make matters worse, um, this is like a little bit of a funny story. I, I bought this stuff, and I remembered it being very, very strong. It's like edibles on crack. It's insane the amount of potency you have. And I told you about it. Weed mm -hmm. has this tendency to get scary sometimes. And mm -hmm. like the most famous example is like dabs. It's like when you need to yeah. pull out a butane torch and look like you're cooking meth, I don't want to get high with you anymore. <laughs> yeah, no. This stuff is similarly scary in which uh, the instructions are to take half of a, a, a dropper and then, oh, I, I should describe it to people who aren't, because I realize they can't see it. It's a small little brown bottle with a dropper, absolutely no label on it. And uh, it looks Picture like a witch's house and then uh -huh. don't alter your first draft at all. And Abs then just like whatever she grabs off the shelf. That's what it looks like. That's exactly it. It looks like a potion you get in Zelda. That's a trick and it hurts you. Uh, and so the instructions for this are to take half a dropper, put it underneath your tongue so that it can seep into your bloodstream and then it'll, uh, you know, get you high. Um I remember I've had this for so long that I remember one time uh, we ran out of edibles and Andrea took half a dose of this. And to be clear, that's a quarter 
of a dropper, half of the recommended dose. And then she fell asleep and she woke up in a panic and went, I have to go to the hospital. And I remember this. Yeah. I had to talk her off of a of a metaphorical, but probably for her very literal ledge. And I remember thinking, like, oh, to get to that level of high, I I miss it. You know, That's I don't have that. The um, one time I did edibles, I did the lowest possible dose, and I kept blacking out. And I was convinced that I needed to go to the hospital, like yeah. convinced. And Jake had to be like, "You don't. You just need to sit here." And eat and drink regular food. So this eventually leaves your body. <laughs> yes. So the other day, in the middle of being wildly sick, and uh, I, I just wanted to not feel pain. I wanted to be asleep. I wanted to... You were probably too dehydrated, my dog. I have been... You can't see... Here, let me just show you. You see all these bottles? Yeah. That's Topo Chico, baby. I have been drinking so much water in the last three days. I have I have like a big gallon thing that I not gallon thing. I don't know. It's a big water bottle, a, a Nalgene water bottle. I've gone through like seven full fucking Nalgene bottles a day, and uh, one and a half cases of Topo Chico. I am pissing water. Okay. <laughs> I Sorry, can- I shouldn't laugh at you, but remember what I said about the will. <laughs> Yeah, to leave you the business. Yeah. My point is, the other day I just wanted to feel some some little relief. So I dosed myself and I waited for three hours and I felt nothing. Which is the hallmark of strong edibles. Is that you go, this ain't shit. And I went, this oil has been sitting in my weed box for maybe four, maybe five years. I don't even know anymore. It's probably like gotten less strong right that thing that you tell your fat chance fat chance no so instead i double dosed myself no armando and when i say double dosed i mean i took one dose and it didn't work and i went i better do two more so i fucking oh no three doses in and i texted you the night after I yes. could not fall asleep. Half because I kept waking up to have to go to the bathroom, but the other half because I was having such a violent high where I started seeing things. And I yes. told you a story of, of seeing a witch made out a of witch light. A witch whose face kept melting off. Her eyeballs would melt and drip out of her head. Her skull and her flesh would rot. And I knew she was coming for me. And mm-hmm. that if she got me, that I too would have my eyeballs melt out and then my skin rot. And the more I thought about it, the more I realized that it wasn't a witch. It was me. It's cyclical. I was the mo- monster i was running from and then i hyper focused on my death for a couple hours and how inevitable that's gonna be and how sad i am that i might not have consciousness and then on top of that because austin is a fucking nightmare it started raining it started raining which to me hiding under my covers meant that somebody was tapping on my fucking window on the fourth fucking story of my apartment complex and then because I don't even know what happened. I it, I could have been imagining it. It could have been somebody moving in the apartment below me, but I've never heard anybody before. It could have been any number of things. I started hearing footsteps in my own house and I wanted to die, Paige. So 
all of that. So, like, when did you watch Evil Dead Rise? Like, really recently? <laughs> or, you know? Evil, are you talking about Evil Dead Rise, a Warner Media project that came out into theaters April 21st and is a, a horrifying uh, movie that does not let up for a second? <laughs> <laughs> does not let up for a single second. Thank you for that money. Anyway, uh... <laughs> Thank you for that money. No, thank you for a crippling fear of cheese graters. Fuck y'all. The last several days have been my own personal hell. I've uh, somehow with uh, somehow as a, I would say an X to a Y level celebrity who has made his entire brand around being a high guy. I somehow got way too high uh, and then also just spent the rest of it fucking violently shooting myself. So I've read three books in that span <laughs> and I've hey, watched uh, when you're several... sitting on the toilet, you got to do something. Yeah. And I've watched several YouTube documentaries and I am uh, explaining this only to tell you guys that what was originally supposed to be just a one off little tiny episode has quickly become a two parter. Okay. It's two parts. It's very interesting. I want to get into it. So let's get started with some sources. We have several posts from Burning Man's own website. We have several posts from the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics website. We have the book Culture Jamming, Activism, and the Art of Cultural Resistance. We have the book Dadaism from Dietmar Elgar. We have the book Enabling Creative Chaos by Catherine K. Chen. We have the book The Tales of the San Francisco Cacophony Society by Carrie Galbraith and John Law. We have the book... The Counter-Movement of the 1960s by William S. McConnell. And we also have the video Black Rock City by the YouTube channel Anton Somewhere. And the video City of Dust by the Nevada Museum of Art's official YouTube channel page. Are you ready? I am so ready. I'm very, very ready. Burning Man factors into one of my weirdest college experiences. <laughs> I cannot wait to hear And it. not what you think. Not at all what you think. It's going to be mm. weird in a completely unexpected way. <laughs> well, interesting. If you set my shit and drug-fueled nightmare of the last several days in the desert... Uh, it would be Burning Man. So, yeah, basically. <laughs> every year on the Saturday before Labor Day, upwards of 70,000 people gather in a commune built in the middle of the Nevada desert. During the day, they worship at the feet of a giant statue, one that stands higher than a five-story building. But at night... They huddle underneath the stars and burn their proud effigy to the ground. Welcome yes. to Burning Man! <laughs> I don't... I don't think Sandstorm's a part of it, but I've listened to it for like three days. Oh, so. baby girl, Sandstorm is a huge part of Burning Man, both literally and figuratively. <laughs> oh, God. So for, for over 36 years, the self-proclaimed burners have ventured into a desolate wasteland, erected a 75-foot-tall wooden man, and then set it on fire and cheered as the blaze washed away their work. And for all of those 36 years, they have gotten kind of a bad rap. 
for most of us non-burners, Burning Man is the new hub for hippies. It's the organization of orgies. It's the ball of debauchery. It's the area for anarchy. But for some outsiders, the festival looks a lot like a cult. Rumors surrounding what goes on in the desert have circulated for decades, and some people have even accused the festival of occult worship. And this is something that we see a lot in media, both from like The Simpsons, Malcolm in the Middle, South Park. There are countless different TV shows that have shown what goes on, and it's usually the punchline of a joke, but also some that have made it feel kind of scary and spooky and maybe it's the similarities to the literal cult classic film the wicker man uh maybe (laughs) maybe it's the fact that every year a bunch of people dress up like mad max cosplayers drop acid and get really really weird or maybe it's the fact that burning man is a non-profit organization with socialist ideals that has a habit of overworking their volunteers and forcing them to participate in strange rituals And while all of that is true, uh, and definitely something that we will touch on later, the rest of it is kind of bullshit. Every so often on the show, we like to look at groups that have a reputation for being culty, like voodoo or ghost dance, but really those groups are just misunderstood. But Burning Man is a bit of a weird one because you can kind of make an argument for both sides, depending on the era you're looking at, the people you're looking at, etc. Now today, most of us probably think of Burning Man as just another festival. There's DJs, there's, you know, Sandstorm by Derude. (laughs) Yeah, of course, of course. There's celebrities, and also it costs roughly $3,000 for the average burner to attend. Yeah three grand page that's like you could go to burning man for three years or you could put a down payment on a on a cheap house that's not a I house mean, that'd in, be a super cheap house not a house in california oh absolutely <laughs> uh page i've got the texas mindset okay <laughs> i mean i'll tell you this i i mean Yes, I am being paid to go to Japan, but I also have to like, you know, turn in expenses and stuff for it. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I'm going to Japan for a week for less than three grand. And I feel like that's going to be dope as fuck. Absolutely. I feel like you could spend that three grand other places, but also people have their thing. There are definitely things I would spend three grand to do as like an experience. This is not one of them, but like. If that's your thing, I I get it, I guess. Yeah, yeah, I get it. And that's kind of the point. Now, today, it's hard to see Burning Man as anything other than, like, Coachella's weird liberal arts cousin, you know? Yeah. That's just how it feels. But the origins of Burning Man go all the way back to the counterculture movement of the 1960s. That's right, motherfucker. It's a history episode now. <laughs> I think I've said this on the show before, uh, but I, before I did comedy and before, you know, I did uh, pretty much all the other dumb shit that I do, um, I thought that I was going to be a history teacher. <laughs> and I sometimes think back on that dream like, 
what a stupid thing. Why would I? I don't think I would ever enjoy that. Like, that's so dumb. And then I'm like, let me read five books on fucking yeah. history. <laughs> Willingly. To be honest, I think in, a, in another life, you and I are both at some high school being like, you don't even understand. MK Ultra was real. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, today we're gonna be we're gonna be covering Hitler for five weeks straight, and people are like, I I don't think he's a Nazi, but he did spend a lot of time saying that his art wasn't that bad. Yeah. <sighs> oh man. Uh, so we've covered this time period a lot on the show, mostly because it's been the breeding ground for a lot of really wild cults. Um, you know, you've got segregation going on, the Vietnam War is on tv uh there's also a global arms race that is threatening to end the entire world in a nuclear holocaust so it's pretty understandable that people are scared and finally willing to fight back against america's mainstream ideals throughout the decade counterculture groups but primarily what we would call hippies began popping up and pushing back on major social issues stuff like you know Let's end the war. Let's end racism. Women deserve more rights. Gay is okay. Basically any conversation that would make your weird uncle flip out at Thanksgiving, you know? Yeah. These people wanted to make the world a better place. But here is where shit gets uh, kind of ironic. Okay. I want to be super clear. American society has and still does suck ass for most people who are not straight white men okay yep. i'm not i'm not i'm not trying to be shitty i'm not trying to be rude i know that my current fan base outside of the show is straight white men so uh i love you tyler kyle nah, or whatever the fuck, fuck em. Don't care. No, no, no wait. Get bent. No, wait. Straight white males, a, a subsidiary of Warner Media in theaters. <laughs> April twenty first. I cannot stress enough that I actually did like Evil Dead Rise. I just think it's funny that I get paid to do stupid shit now. Okay, that's it. I, I... yeah. Honestly, on a second watch, I liked it even more. Yeah. So I feel like the more I watch it, the more I'm gonna continue to enjoy it. Anyway. I, yeah. And again fantastic movie that i am paid to uh, promote so other groups that make up the counterculture movement like the black power movement the chicano movement the gay liberation second wave feminism all of these groups fought out of necessity but a vast majority of the counterculture movement as a whole were white middle class youth and like it or not the only reason that they were able to focus so much on social issues is because a then prospering American economy gave them enough time to do so. <laughs> yep. Just to hammer this point home and also to bum all of us out a little bit, uh, I did some math. And when you account for inflation from the 1960s to now, the yearly average income in America has gone down by 9%. However, the average cost of rent has gone up by 200%, and yep. the cost of buying a new home has gone up by over 400%. Yep. Yeah, but surely, surely the reason that it's so hard for us to buy homes is just because we're not working hard enough, okay? Paige, every time you complain about how expensive it is to have a home or how much work it is to like build your dream house, I need mm -hmm. you to get back in those podcast minds, okay? 
<laughs> Those podcast minds helped pay for this house, even though I had to like, this is the thing. I think I talked about it more in Horror Virgin or maybe here, but like the money I made from both podcasting and writing for other shows and uh, small writing jobs here and there is all 1099 income. And the bank, by the way, if you have 1099 income, fully does not want to loan you loan you money yep. based on that income. <laughs> they do not give a shit. Uh, so I had to like fight to justify. And at one point they called and were like, what's a podcast? Oh my God. <laughs> and then they sent me emails that were like, we need you to justify comedian as a business. And I was like, trust me, we would all like to justify it as a business. Yeah. It turns out that all banks are run by my grandma. Who's just like, so yeah. what is it you do again? <laughs> So when are you finishing school? Um, anyway. I got it from, by the way, I got a promotion at my job. Like I, I became a creative producer. I moved to a different department. I'm like, for all intents and purposes, doing pretty well at my job. And that is how my grandmother found out that I have had a job for the last <laughs> several years. <laughs> like two years? Yeah, she did not. She Apparently, she was just like, yeah, I thought you, I don't know, you just like show up and be funny in a video and they toss you like a couple 20 bucks or something. <laughs> Grandma, no. I have health insurance, you old bitch. What are you talking about? I I try not to talk about comedy and stuff at work as much, uh, just because it's weird, and, and I like to keep those works wor worlds kind of separate. But because I'm going out of town... I have to like tell people that I'm going out of town and tell people where I'm going so that I'm like, hey, I'm not reachable during this time, even if there's an emergency or whatever. Yeah. And so I had to be like, yeah, I have to go to Japan. <laughs> and uh, I had just finished giving like two or three presentations in a week on like this like big like initiative for the company. And like three or four people were like, you're such a good public speaker. Why are you going to Japan? <laughs> and I was like, stand up comedy. <laughs> Like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that you just thought I was good at this. No, I am just leveraging skills from one world to the other. It doesn't stop. Trust me. Dude, I, when I went to uh, a little place called Pali, I remember Pally? being called at what was for me, I think it was like three in the morning. Uh, I got like five calls in a row and I was I like, remember I, this. Yeah, I had to answer the phone and be like, no. No, you don't have to show your underwear in the Me Undies ad, Ryan. Please, please. <laughs> this is not important. <laughs> yeah. It, uh, my point is just w my only advice, I guess, is if you're ever going to go out of town, specify what you can and cannot do with wonderful Me Undies. All right. That's it. <laughs> because it's apparently way more important to your business than you think it's ever going to be. <laughs> Uh, so, so back to Burning Man, though. Yeah, yeah. While there are countless instances of protests during the counterculture movement turning violent thanks to police, uh, assassinations of powerful figures, and just a general sense of bad vibes for a lot of people, for the majority of hippies and beatniks, the counterculture movement kind of fucking rocked, dude. I mean, the lifestyle came with a do-your-own-thing mentality. It meant dropping psychedelics, partying at Woodstock, and fighting the materialistic American dream by returning to a carefree, nomadic, or even sometimes commune-based way of living. For a man. lot, of, Man! For a lot of kids. For a lot of kids. 
the counterculture movement was kind of fun. All right, I'm. It's. It sucks to put it that way, but that's just what it was. In fact, one of the biggest influences from the counterculture 60s that we see today is that fun. They gave us the first rock music festival, the 1967 Monterey Pop Festival. And then, you know, later the way more successful Woodstock. Uh, they gave us trippy, thoughtful art like drug-inspired sculptures or weird posters that you see at your drug-dealing cousin's house. Uh, I mean... Honestly, truly, there is nothing funnier than, like, a fucking Woodstock poster next to a Scarface poster and being like, what <laughs> What do you like, actually? What is this? What is, what's this about? Hmm. I see that you sell Coke and mushrooms. Interesting. <laughs> <laughs> they also inspired a sense of fashion that is just as popular and honestly very confusing to look at today as it was back then. Unfortunately, everything good or weird must eventually come to an end. And by the 1970s, America's counterculture movement had severely diminished. And this is probably for two reasons. And I say probably because I'm not a fucking anthropologist, okay? I, <laughs> I'm i a guy who, who accidentally doses himself with witch's potion and fucking used to jump off ladders as a kid, okay? I, I'm not, like, a professional, but I have done a lot of research for this episode. <laughs> Booyah! Fucking suck it! Pissing on your grave, Parcast, you bitch! <laughs> it's like bordering on rude at this point. It, it is, but I still have fun with it. Uh, <laughs> so, the reason that the counterculture movement diminished is probably because A, a lot of their goals had, like, you know, civil rights, liberties, gender equality, environmentalism, and definitely protesting the Vietnam War, those had all somewhat to a degree been co-opted by the rest of mainstream society. They went from being like fringe politics to being something that everyone was saying like, hey, maybe it's not cool to go to another country's home and fucking slaughter them uh, just because you don't like Russia that much. And B, maybe more importantly, is because that magic economy of the 60s that we talked about earlier turned into the stagflation of the 1970s, and it became really fucking hard to live on the fringes of society if you wanted to start a family or own a home or do pretty much anything. People were forced to join the workforce, and then they stopped living in communes, and before you know it, the fun wild days of the 60s became the 9-to-5 life of the weekend warrior, you know? It became less, let's go out and do whatever we want, and like, I don't know, maybe we can fit Miller time into <laughs> afterwards. <laughs> Miller time, all caps. Do you want to explain... Miller time. I know you have other places, but I don't know that Miller time has touched cult podcast yet. That is true. And I was part of a fantastic group chat like a month ago in which we learned of the existence of Miller time. Oh, uh, Miller time. Okay. So I know Miller time has been around forever, yeah. but the particular brand of Miller time. <laughs> so Miller time, this iteration of it. <laughs> 
to be clear. Actually, let's start from the beginning. Miller Time let's was uh, an ad campaign started by Miller Lite uh, in mm-hmm. order to get people to drink their fucking piss water. Um, mm-hmm. And it was like, <laughs> it's Miller Time. It was like their version of it's five o'clock somewhere, you know? Right. Um, and one of the people that this worked on was my shitty stepdad. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, who not only refused to drink anything other than Miller Lite, but would regularly work in the phrase Miller time into his everyday conversation. And so uh, a while back, I got high and curious and started uh, doing what any normal person would do and look up the... uh, the the old facebook profile for my stepdad you know kind of to see what he was up to mostly because Mm. i heard that motherfucker moved to utah and i was like mom you won this divorce all right you're (laughs) you're fucking killing it dude you're doing great uh and what i found was that a lot of his stuff was now private but he forgot to private all of his posts like pre-divorce and so (laughs) i just started reading through them and he he types in all caps always it from 2013 i think all the way back to like 2009 all caps all the time not a problem with our computer because it's the same computer i used as a child right Right. and i started just screenshotting some of his better ones and here's some examples and again these are in all caps gotta work manana but in no way shape or form will that interfere with miller time (laughs) (laughs) i fucking love this so much that's so great. Here's another one from <laughs> April 16th. Drinking is still happening regardless of wife's mandatory yard work. Dot, 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 dot. Stay up, all you players, pimps, and hoes. It's Miller time. Oh, <laughs> uh, but these two. Oh, damn it. These two, these two posts are they and they don't involve miller time which by the way miller time is a fucking uh it's like his catchphrase but the best part is he he adds a smiley face on each one and he doesn't do it the way any normal person would with like colon uh uh parentheses or anything like that he does equal sign end bracket so it's a square smile and long thin eyes weird fucking weird it th- th- these two don't have that but they are tweeted exactly an hour apart from each other <laughs> december 14th lost a great guy over the weekend dot 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 r.i.p fabian and then one hour later eagles in first place all is well now <laughs> Truly, I love it so much. Just absolutely the worst human being I could possibly think of. So good. And they gave him internet access, and I can go back and read it. And a majority of the things he he I almost said tweet. I would honestly, I would sign up for for my stepdad's uh, Twitter account. I would follow (laughs) in a heartbeat. A majority of his posts are like. I watched this movie or this TV show and I'm excited about it. Like most of them are like Archer's back. That's it. (laughs) You just say that. And then the send tweet. (laughs) 
And then the rest of it is all stuff like my bitch wife's making me do yard work again. Miller time. Like it's <laughs> fucking dumb, dude. Oh, so good. So bad. Yeah. So wonderful. So I have started co-opting what I like to call, and people are going to be mad that I say this, but I've liked to co-opt uh, what I would call Gen X slang. Uh, so like Miller time, that's mine now. And I say it and I'm bringing it back. <laughs> and somebody actually sent me a meme that encapsulates everything that Miller time represents as my new religion. Uh, it says the father, the son, and the Holy spirit. And it's, uh, three pictures for each one. And it's a can of Miller light, uh, a plastic like lawn chair that every poor person has at their house <laughs> yeah, for some of reason course. and then sure. uh, a cigarette that was clearly picked up off the floor half already smoked and relit oh no oh no miller time is uh if i could encapsulate it into a word or a sentence rather miller time is when you should be doing something productive or good for society and instead you crack open that Miller and you drink the champagne of life, baby. <laughs> oh, geez. Yeah. I brought it up on a podcast and now people won't stop tweeting it and uh, sending it to me and I fucking love it. Anyway. Reclaim Miller time. It's mine now. The other one that I took was uh, I was in a work meeting and I was trying to explain like... I don't like the phrase it is what it is because I've Ooh. it is what it is to my way throughout life and it makes me want to die every time I say it. I'm running out of it is what it is. Um, and so I was trying to explain that there was a problem. It's nobody's fault, but it's a problem that needs to get solved. I don't think we should blame anybody. Not that anybody was. And the way that I decided to say this was charge it to the game, player. And <laughs> I love charge it to the game. That's one of my favorite things to say. Charge it to the game, player. It's just it's no it's no one's fault. It's it's a problem. Whatever. Let's move past the blame and let's focus on yeah. solutions. Charge it to the Correct. game, player. Charge it to the game. I said that in a meeting with several executives and it slipped out. And it's one of those things where I said it and I went, oh fuck, oh no. And then one of these guys went. I actually like what Armando said earlier. What well, it, it was <laughs> about charging it to the it game. It was charge it to the game, and I was like, "Yeah, charge it to the game, player." And he was like, "Charge oh, it to the game, player." Indeed, that, indeed. That's really good. I'm gonna start using that, and I was thank like, you, homie. Yeah. yeah. And then I went, "It's Miller time, baby." It's Miller time. Anyway, back to Burning Man. <laughs> Uh, after the economy fucking tanked and it was becoming harder and harder for people to follow in the footsteps of their, you know, their parents and buy a home and do stuff sounds real fucking relatable. Uh, that sort of lifestyle of the counterculture movement died off, but that doesn't mean that the weirdness ever truly died. Because former hippies, beatniks, and all kinds of artists fought to keep it alive. And there is perhaps no place where that was more evident than the small but endlessly weird city of San Francisco. <laughs> we do be weird, though. Yeah, absolutely. Throughout the counterculture movement, San Francisco, California had been a hotspot for hippies, weirdos, and artists. Big name writers from the Beat Generation flocked there. Uh, the Haight-Ashbury district became the unofficial epicenter of the 1967 Summer of Love. 
and the city's contributions to communal living sort of defined a lot of the counterculture movement. And just because it wasn't the norm to be, uh, well, norm anymore, <laughs> doesn't mean that all of those people stopped being weird. Instead, a bunch of those writers, artists, and thinkers started integrating their weirdness into everyday society, like with something they like to call Communiversity. Yay! Despite sounding like the official community college of growing your own kale and using natural deodorant, Communiversity was actually a super fun and super strange experimental class hosted by the San Francisco State University. This seems like the perfect time to bring up my Burning Man college experience. Interesting. Given what you've just said. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Hit me with it. So uh, I, uh, when I went into college, had taken enough AP classes that a lot of my, I, I, a lot of things I had credit for, so I didn't technically need to take them, but I was majoring in humanities, so I still ended up doing it anyway. So I had taken a history course, mm -hmm. and it was a big lecture one, and I showed up the first day. And and it was just like American history. Like it wasn't anything, you know, abnormal. Like it was very general. I was just doing it to meet a requirement. Right. Mm -hmm. And this dude <laughs> walks to the front of the room and literally immediately is like anyone who believes in religion is an idiot. I'd like to show a slideshow to kick this off. And I was like, <laughs> This is a strong way to start out, but okay. Like, hey, it's college. I'm going to have to listen to people of differing beliefs, whatever. But then the slideshow happened. And the slideshow, he basically said, is is his photography from Burning Man because he believes it's one of the single most impactful things that's happened to our society in however many years. Now, mind you, this is 2006 or seven when this mm -hmm. is happening, right? The slideshow he showed was almost entirely just topless college age girls. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember sitting there and looking around and everyone else was just like, uh, uh, because here's the thing if it had been like a whole bunch of different Burning Man shit, we would have been like, this guy's nuts, but whatever, it's college, right? It was almost exclusively topless let's call it 17 to 23 year old women Oof. and he was in his late 40s early 50s Oof. and we were like oh this is cringe like this is bad like i feel like this is highlighting something about this man that is very very troubling yeah and, <laughs> and he just so put it on display for on everyone display to see to a lecture hall of like 200 people and then I know I and like 15 other people I knew that were like just trying to take the class to like get the credit all dropped that class after the very first day. We were like, oh, hell no. <laughs> like this dude is a creep. And then I went on because at the time, rate your professor was like a big thing. Because I was like, is it just me? Am I being overly sensitive? Because like I emailed and was like, here's why I'm dropping this class, this kind of thing. And they were like, well, we should challenge our beliefs in college. I was like, I don't think you understand. And so I went to rate your professor and so many people were like, 
dude's a fucking creep and so i like sent that page and they were like we dropped the class for you and i was like cool <laughs> but that was my introduction to burning man was a creepy old man was a fucking man walking out going welcome everyone to the history of nipples yeah he was just like there's no god but there are nipples let's go <laughs> If God's so real, how come these titties look all good, huh? huh? <laughs> I was like, if anything, nipples are proof that God loves us and wants us to be happy, right? No, 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 no. Look at these nipples. They're kind of droopy. They're kind of bad, right? Now look at these nipples. Them some man-made beauties, huh? <laughs> <laughs> it was upsetting. <laughs> <laughs> now let me tell you about Mesopotamia. That's, well, I guess, yeah, you could... I mean, if you want to go like America has people in it and therefore we have to start at the like cradle of civilization in Mesopotamia. Sure. I was trying but, to make a pussy joke. Mesopotamia. Mesopotamia. No, this dude was like nipples. Now, if we look at the Dutch East India <laughs> Company. Let me tell you all about Plymouth cock. Okay. I was oh Plymouth rock hard at Burning Man. Here's more photos. I also, I also love crazy. him. I also love him going. Burning Man is the single most important thing to happen to our society. I feel like if you gave me this man and unlimited money, I would take him to uh, uh, Mardi Gras, and he'd be like, "I was wrong." Okay. <laughs> Mardi Gras is the single best thing to ever happen to us. You don't have to stay in tents. There's bathrooms. Oh, my God. It's fucking incredible. And the other thing, too, the only other, like, because I've never been to Burning Man, but I have seen pictures of the year that it was infested by bugs and stuff. <sighs> and I was like, this is going to be a hard pass for me, no oh. matter what. <laughs> God, just fucking buckle up, Paige, because Burning Man is, <laughs> it's one of those things where after reading a lot about it, it's like, I kind of want to go, and then a bigger part of me never wants to even think about no. it. No. And, yeah, and again, same. I told you how expensive it is. It's not the price that's making me want to not go. No, 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 no. Because if it was amazing, I'd be like, hey, once in a lifetime or whatever. Yeah. And I've heard people that like fucking love it and have amazing stories about it but then the more i hear about the practicality of it i'm like no this yeah. sounds awful <laughs> yes oh god but getting back to our story Communiversity was a class that was free to attend uh but it also offered zero college credits mm -hmm, and it mm -hmm. featured pretty much no curriculum uh, instead, the class aimed to teach its students about Dadaism and culture jamming. Now, buckle up, because I have to give you the quickest art history lesson ever. Dadaism, which sounds like a religion based around daddy issues. Shout out all my ex-girlfriends. Hey. Uh, instead, it's somehow way more absurd. Dadaism was an artistic movement started in a mysterious little nightclub in Zurich, Switzerland, all the way back in 1916. With World War I terrorizing most of Europe, artists from all over the continent fled to neutral Switzerland, hoping just to fucking catch a break. And obviously, they were extremely opposed to the war that forced them to leave their families and lives behind. 
So this new collective of artists pioneered a style that would both communicate their feelings on the outside world while also creating a quote-unquote new universe completely different from the one that they lived in. It was anti-war, anti-nationalism, anti-establishment, anti-materialism, and could pretty much be summed up as anti-everything. <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. This meant creating art without rules, ideals, established conventions, and even reason itself. As one of the founders, artist John Arp put it, or Gene Arp, or Jean Arp, I don't fucking know. As he put it, Dada is for the senseless, which doesn't mean nonsense. Dada is senseless like nature. Dada is for nature and against art. And this means at its core that Dada means absolutely fucking nothing or everything. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mm -hmm. matter. It doesn't make any fucking sense. It's like going into <laughs> a history class and having a professor be like, look at these titties, okay? And then you're yes. like, how does this... How, excuse me, Mr. Boobs, how does this... <laughs> And then he corrects you, and he's like, it's actually French. It's Boobé. It's Dr. Boobs to you. <laughs> Sorry. Dr. Boobé, how, how does this relate to history? And he goes, <laughs> that's what Dadaism is, okay? It's doctor, because I have a PhD, a penis hard degree. <laughs> Jesus fucking Christ. Excuse oh. me, Dr. Boobs. <laughs> Just kidding. Even the name, Dada, was chosen uh, by the group because of its vagueness. It could represent the sound that a baby makes, going like, Dada. It could mean a toy wooden horse. It could also mean yes, yes, in several different languages. The meaning behind it all is have no meaning or do, who gives a shit? And some of the art to come out of Dadaism was completely meaningless, like uh, most of Dadaist poetry. In fact, one of the founders of the movement, Tristan Zara, even wrote instructions on how to construct a Dadaist poem. You're supposed to cut up a bunch of words from newspapers, letters, etc., throw it into a bag, shuffle it around, and then write them down one by one as you pull them out of the bag. And if you're wondering what this sounds like, go check out the song I Zimbra by the Talking Heads, because the lyrics from that song are actually an adaptation of a piece of one of the most Dadaist poems to ever be a Dadaist poem written by Hugo Ball. The lyrics are Ga, G, Berry, Bim, Ba, Glendari, La, Lee, Loni, Ka, Dori, Gajam, Abim, Berry. It makes no sense. They're not words, Paige. Berry is a word. It's not spelled like that. It's spelled B E R I. Oh, then I have no idea. Yeah. yeah it, no clue. It, it makes no sense, and it is still used in the opening scene of Spider-Man No Way Home, okay? <laughs> That is a fact. Oh, no. <laughs> As the Great War ended and artists spread out all across the globe, Dadaism spread with it. The absurdist, spontaneous, sometimes meaningful, sometimes not style found a new home in Paris, Munich, and most importantly to our story, the United States. 
Funny enough, one of the most famous pieces to come from Dadaism, and maybe one of the most famous pieces of modern art as a whole, came from New York artist Marcel Duchamp, who uh, titled his piece The Fountain. And it was not a sculpture, it wasn't a painting, it wasn't a, a collage, it was very literally a urinal. It was <laughs> just a urinal with a signature that wasn't even his signature. Honestly, dig it. <laughs> yeah. It was We need more public bathrooms. <laughs> yeah, especially. Uh yeah, he should have sent it to Europe and uh shown them what a free public bathroom looks like. <laughs> Fuck. Uh, the, the fountain was part of uh, Marcel's ready-made series and included other household objects like a hat rack or a snow shovel. The point was that art could be more than a visual piece of work. Marcel actually despised what he called like, uh, I, I can't remember the term for it, but it's basically art that looks good. And I don't mean mm. he liked ugly pieces of art. Aestheticism. No, it's more than that. His point was that by picking something seemingly random, giving it a name and a signature, he had turned it into art. That was mm. it. It doesn't need to okay. be a painting. It doesn't even need to be visual. It, it Anything can be art so long as the artist says that it is art. And the fountain helped change the art world's perspective on what could be considered art. And even now, just four years ago, an Italian artist duct taped a banana to a wall, called it the comedian, and sold it at auction for $120,000. Dude, we got to start duct taping more shit to walls. Yeah. And even, you know what? I got a mortgage now. <laughs> yeah, but you're not looking at the other side. You have so many more wall space to duct tape bananas to than I you know. did before. God, this is a money-making machine. <laughs> and taking it even further, following the sale of the comedian, the banana tape to the wall, a Georgian artist ate the banana in a performance art piece that he called the hungry artist. <laughs> that guy wins. That that's the funniest shit ever. <laughs> that one is honestly How my much favorite. did he make? Well, the eating of the banana sold for zero dollars and the artist was uh not very politely asked to leave the establishment. <laughs> No, it didn't. It, it's not zero dollars. It's whatever the cost of one banana is. Yeah. Like, how much could one banana cost? Ten dollars? Yeah. But this kind of explains what Dadaism is all about. Uh, question everything and have an answer for nothing. Dadaism gave birth to tons of iconic art forms like absurdism, surrealism, uh, but the one that the com, com University focused on the most was called culture jamming. Culture jamming is all about taking Dadaism and implementing it into the world around us. It uses the familiar rules and methods of the mainstream with subversive twists to parody the world around us. It's, it's like co-opting reality to spread a brand new message. Um, and there are countless famous examples of culture jamming and also different types of culture jamming like s some are some are very obvious like most of Banksy's works of art like having uh what are you looking at spray painted in full view of a security camera that's 
kind of a form of culture jamming, creating yeah. fake billboards that look real, but when you read them, it just says, like, buy shit. That's a famous example of culture jamming. Um, but some of them are less obvious, at least less obvious to me, like uh, memes, just memes, just memes in general, because when you break it down... Memes are all about taking an established piece of imagery to spread a new thought, a new idea, or a new joke. Like, minion memes are probably the best way to explain this, where, like, it ran its course of, like, people I very really posting them on, like, Facebook and meaning the things. It's like, it'll show a minion, and it's like, I don't need anything in this life but Miller time and my wife, okay? <laughs> And bananas. And, and bananas taped to walls. Uh, Jesus Christ. Are Minions we would love that banana art. Are, I'm just saying. I'm not sure that... I'm not convinced that the artist who did that wasn't a minion. Now that you mention <laughs> Or like three minions standing yeah. in a trench coat. Uh, and they teach a class and it's just a slideshow of bananas. Um, yeah. Banana. Yeah. Banana. So I guess what I'm saying is that if you've ever laughed at a meme, congratulations, you're a fucking Dadaist now. You've made it, all right? You <laughs> you are able to be subversive and funny. Uh, but perhaps one of the best examples of culture jamming came from a, a, a strange news story all the way back from 2001. That's right, 9-11. It was all an elaborate what? Whoa. Jet fuel can't melt steel memes. <laughs> no, I'm uh, kidding. Probably in poor taste, actually. But in Hey, never forget about bananas. Exactly. <laughs> they have potassium. You should, you know, keep that in mind. Hold on. I'm doing some Googling. Oh, my God potassium can melt steel beams holy <laughs> shit but also with your diarrhea you should use some bananas fool. <laughs> <laughs> that's yeah actually um in 2001 jonah peretti who is a self-proclaimed jammer and uh would become the future co-founder of the huffington post what <laughs> yeah, yeah. He garnered a lot of attention when he posted an email conversation between himself and Nike. The disagreement started when the company refused to make him a custom pair of Nikes with the word sweatshop written across the swoosh. <laughs> Why? They didn't have someone available to make it for a livable wage? Oh, what? <laughs> Yeah, of course, the shoes were never going to get made. If they had, it'd probably just be a funny picture that you saw online. But Jonah used the emails themselves as a piece of content meant to spread awareness of the company's long history of inhumane working conditions. I say wearing a fucking Nike shirt, Nike pants, and uh, having a wall of Nike shoes. I'm starting mm -hmm, to feel mm -hmm. bad, is what I'm saying. Yeah, mm-hmm. But before... There were sweatshop swooshes and bananas being taped to World Trade Centers. Uh, there was the Com University class at San Francisco State University. And their goal was simple. Be silly, be goofy, and implement that humor into the world around you. Unfortunately, it was that same silliness that got the class banned from campus. <laughs> 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 One of Com University's assignments was joining what they called the P 
pie of the month club where you would sign up for a window of time, go about your day. And then when you least expected it, someone would jump out and throw a pie in your face. Why? Who would sign up for this to just have your day ruined and have it be very funny later, but in the moment have to change a shirt? Yeah. Well, however, after a student was hit with a pie in front of his parents and another professor was pied while giving a lecture. Honestly, he had to have seen that coming. Yeah. Like, dude. A hundred percent. That's the best time to, what, you're showing your titty slideshow and I'm second, not going to fucking yeah. cream pie you? Absolutely. In fact, I'm going to put a cherry in the middle of the pie so it looks like a nipple. Absolutely perfect. Yeah. Uh, after these two events happened, uh, the class came to a close. But as we have seen already and will continue to see throughout this story, when there's a weird will, there is always a weird way. <laughs> Four Com University students, determined not to let their free spirit die, formed a secret society. Hiding in the shadows, they called themselves the Suicide Club. Oh, jeez. Yeah, now, okay, don't worry, because it's not going to... This episode, the series is not going to take a dark turn this early, okay? Uh... Despite the name, the club wasn't about suicide at all, even even though the origin of the group might suggest otherwise. The story goes that during a bad storm in the winter of 1977, the four founding members crawled down onto the rocks below the Golden Gate Bridge and took turns holding onto a chain fastened to a wall as wave after massive wave crashed into them. If they were overtaken and swept out to sea, they'd all promised not to do anything to rescue each other. And after surviving the night, they dubbed themselves the suicide club it's also worth mentioning that they had just read a short story that they really liked that was called the suicide club (laughs) oh also we decided to become the naughty hellfire club and the losers club Stay gold, pony boy. <laughs> like, oh, that's real, a thing we made up. That's a thing original. we made up. We did it. It was us. <laughs> but seriously, if you would like to join the Twilight Club, I am hosting meetings underneath the go- the Golden Gate Bridge. And if you would like to join the Black Lodge, you Ooh. can have meetings with me in the forest. I can't guarantee you'll make it home. <laughs> but other than that one time where they almost all killed themselves on accident or maybe on purpose, the club wasn't based around dying. Instead, it was kind of the opposite. The Suicide Club asked people to face their fears, embrace in shared experiences, and tune out of reality in order to connect with what some of them called a quote-unquote super reality. Um, I'm not sure what makes it different other than maybe psychedelics. It sounds like, cause they sound sometimes th- this is the hard part of reading this is sometimes mm-hmm. I'll read a sentence and I go, did I say that? Did I say that when I was on my <laughs> But I, I also kind of get what they're saying. Um, because like I said, I do mushrooms, uh, they're trying to like, connect with something bigger than the preconceived notions of society that we have society is this thing that we've built for ourselves we've built our own rules we adhere to them but also inherently we're just stupid fucking monkeys without uh, hair on all parts of our body unless you're me 
and then not so much, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. As one member put it, knowing that you could die is a super real feeling. So basically, these people, they combated their fear of mortality by living life to the fullest and getting really weird with it. They took the culture jamming they had picked up in university and turned that shit up to 11, hosting all sorts of wild public displays of what some people uh, might consider to be art. Uh, On one day, they gathered 30 members to ride San Francisco's cable cars while completely nude. (laughs) <laughs> oh did they run into well see here's the thing cable cars are mostly for tourists if this was mm-hmm. muni they'd get on the bus and be like i thought we were the nude people what are you doing here yeah. like it was, you know <laughs> it's san francisco i was gonna say i i was recalling an event like when i was a kid i used to take the bus in la to get to school sometimes and i i want you to be uh completely understanding me I don't mean that I took a school bus. I mean, I had a bus pass and I would get on the metro and go to school using two different buses. And I will never forget this lady who came on completely topless and was Mm -hmm. like clearly not all there. And she paid the fare and the bus driver did not think twice about it at all. Which like, of course, I'm so glad that person got to where they needed to go. But in my mind, I was like, wow, this is awesome. You can just get on doing whatever you want. And a bus driver is just like, I don't fucking give a shit if I'm being honest with you. There was also there was a guy when I was in college who and I think they eventually told him he had to wear clothes. But there was a guy who was a nudist and would like go to class naked and stuff Mm. just and people would catch like you could tell when someone was new because there was like a Facebook group or whatever. And people would like snap a photo of him as he was walking by and they'd be like, did anyone else see this? And they'd be like, yeah, it's just Dan. Like, don't worry about it. It's fine. (laughs) But I also remember when we built a Sur La Table in Westwood, which is near UCLA. And one side of the building had all windows and it faced the uh, mental health clinic across mm-hmm. the street. Um, and unfortunately, people can't stay forever. Or they don't take their meds. There's a million things that could happen. But a woman ended up walking outside wrapped in a comforter and then just opened it completely nude and just pressed herself against the windows of rich white women learning how to make cupcakes. Mm. And it's to date one of the funniest things I have ever heard about. (laughs) I like to imagine to myself that there's a Bay Area professor being like, the Mecca, I must go to there. (laughs) I must go to the Mecca of boobs. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, they got 30 people to ride the bus completely naked. Um, some nights they hosted elaborate games in bizarre places like cemeteries, sewer systems, and even the city's financial district. Uh, and one time, and this is my favorite and somehow there is absolutely no further information on it, but one time a few members infiltrated and started pranking societies like the Moonies and the American Nazi party. (laughs) I love this. Hold on. I was thinking they were ridiculous, but this sounds awesome. <laughs> yeah, they kind I mean, look, all of Broken this stuff is right go- twice a day. All of this stuff is goofy as fuck, but I really like these people a lot. <laughs> I really do. And I I know I shit on Dadaism, but that's because it's just been done before, like the like I'm saying, like the banana thing. That's yeah. I I saw that. I've seen it. When Banksy fucking ripped up the thing, I fucking I get it. Okay, 
you didn't make a urinal and a fucking snow shovel and put it into they didn't make it he even bought it i think and just put it in a museum like when this shit was coming out it was cool it was new it was weird and also again these guys infiltrated the moonies and the nazis and they were like what are you gonna do you're gonna take them down and they were like nah we're gonna prank them (laughs) <laughs> we're gonna do impractical jokers on the nazis oh i love it but the suicide club was far from a formal organization there wasn't a membership list there were no initiation rituals and the only dogma they adhered to was that you keep your involvement a secret and that you just participated in group events whenever you were able to the most organized thing that they did was create a newsletter that they called the Noose Letter. Ha 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 ha. Any member, even those who were brand new and hadn't participated in an event before, could pitch ideas to the club. You would make a plan, you would write it up, and then it would be published in the newsletter. And whether or not anyone showed up depended entirely on interest and availability. Unfortunately, like anything created by a bunch of goofy college kids, the Suicide Club had to come to an end. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. In 1982, just five years after it was founded, the club disbanded, partly because its members started graduating and moving away, and partly, as one member put it, quote, because everyone was sleeping with everyone else. <laughs> Isn't that always what happens? You know, yeah. if you're a commune, if you're a Bennigan's, like that's what's going to happen. <laughs> exactly. And as we entered into a new decade, the 1980s, history seemed to repeat itself. The weird kids started to grow up, living continued to get more expensive, and the movement built on decentralized groups led by charismatic leaders felt aimless with those leaders dying or moving on. But from the ashes of the Suicide Club came the San Francisco Cacophony Society. Um, The group was almost identical to the Suicide Club, thanks to the Society's founders almost entirely being former members of the Suicide Suicide Club. Club. Uh, And, okay, I say identical except for three key factors. Uh, One, it was no longer tied to a singular university, or any university for that matter. Uh, Two, it wasn't helmed by a single charismatic friend group, uh, even though... The Suicide Club was sort of just like a laissez-faire. You can do whatever you want. Join or don't join. I don't give a fuck. Mm -hmm. Uh, It really was led by their leader, which was a guy named Gary Warren, who passed away in 1983. Um, And third, and maybe most importantly, secrecy was no longer a rule. According to them, and I, I actually like this, uh, if you're wondering if you're able to join the, the Cacophony Society, then you're probably already a member. <laughs> All right. Because of this, the group's events, which they like to call zone trips, started to go old school viral. Uh, and, and by that, I just mean they didn't have the internet, but holy shit, if they did, they would go viral every single week because their <laughs> shit was awesome. In fact... 
Some of their most iconic zone trips are still practiced annually today, like the drunken Christmas-themed SantaCon, where participants... Oh, shit! Yeah, participants dress up like Santa Claus and parade through the city shouting Christmas carols. You're familiar. I am familiar with SantaCon. It happens every year. SantaCon is one of the creations of the Cacophony Society. All right. And as word began to spread, so did the society. Branches popped up in Los Angeles, Seattle, and of course, Portland, Oregon. Uh, (laughs) In fact, if you, like me, heard about the Suicide Club and the Cacophony Society and thought, hey, this sounds a lot like if Fight Club was in real life, uh, that's because author Chuck Palahniuk was a member of the Portland branch and used the Cacophony Society as the inspiration for Project Mayhem. That makes a lot of sense. In fact, that sounds almost like Fight Club, as Todd said on our Fight Club episode. <laughs> that's because it's April Fool's. I fucking got you. It's Fight Club again. Ha <laughs> <laughs> ha, Paige. How does it feel, asshole? I feel relieved, honestly. <laughs> I feel unburdened. Uh, now I, I feel like I have made amends for what I did to Todd. <laughs> the Cacophony Society has had countless famous members and pulled off hundreds of viral stunts and birthed even more absurdist groups, including but not limited to things like improv everywhere. Oh, Thru- yes. Throughout its long and still ongoing history. But perhaps their most famous stunt was the summer solstice ceremony inspired by the old summer solstice ceremonies put on by the now defunct suicide club and a few other san francisco artists uh two friends larry harvey and jerry james invited cacophony society members to join them at baker beach for a new ceremony with a twist there on the sand they would build an eight foot tall statue of a man and burn it to the ground. And that is where we will pick up next week Damn. with the second and final part of our very short series on Burning Man. I'm very excited by this. This is great. Yeah, I uh wanted to I wanted to do one episode on Burning Man. And I told you it was because people have called it culty my whole life. My family has called it culty. Like, it, it, it gets kind of a bad reputation. And again, we'll get into it a little bit next week. You can kind of make an argument for it somehow. Um, although, <laughs> one of my favorite responses is if you look up is uh burning man a cult you you'll be led to a lot of like burning man subreddits and burning man online forums and people will be like yes it is a cult but here you have to wash your own brain and i thought that was very funny like instead Mm. of we brainwash you you wash your own brain um interesting interesting division of responsibilities there (laughs) So this episode, I wanted to provide a lot of context for stuff I didn't fucking know. You know, this Mm -hmm. isn't like a, it it didn't start as a festival led by a corporation. It didn't start as the place where celebrities go to take pictures. It started because of a bunch of fucking weirdos in San Francisco wanted to be weird on the weekend. Yeah. And uh, didn't have an outlet for it. So uh, I hope you liked today's episode. Uh, I did. I, I enjoyed it very much. This is all very exciting. 
Yeah. Uh, next week, we will get into the history of Burning Man, starting with the first ever Burning Man, uh, all the way to present, where it has become, again, a nonprofit organization with some pretty strange beliefs. Um, mm. But one of my favorite parts, and the reason that I couldn't make this one episode, is because I have done extensive amounts of research into what it is like at Burning Man. Yes. Uh, so I wanted to give you a full rundown of how the city works, uh, how the city was founded, and all of this other crazy shit. So that's what we will get into next week. But for now, if you want to find me on social media, you can. Uh, I'm on Instagram. I'm on Twitter. I'm on TikTok. I'm on fucking Twitch. At Mondo Does Stuff. That's M-A-N-D-O Does Stuff. All one word. Uh, I have some shows here in Austin, Texas coming up. Uh, if you want to hear about them, you should go to my Instagram. That's the best place to find out show information. And um, yeah, I guess for now, I'm just going to say I love you. Goodbye. Good night and good luck. Mwah. Mwah. Hello, it's your girl Paige. I'm here every week. If you want to hear my voice more, you could listen to Horror Virgin and Romancing the Pod. If you are in Tokyo, I will be there the 2nd through the 4th of June. It's coming up. Tickets are available at Tokyo Comedy Bar online. You can find uh, a little bit more information on my Instagram, just what's happening on what day. Uh, then June 10th, I'm back in Los Angeles at Proud Mary in Highland Park for a plus size fashion slash comedy show. It's going to be amazing. Uh, and then I will be in Austin in July for stuff. Uh, keep an eye on my Instagram for all of that. That's the best place to find everything. That's at Rampage Wesley on Instagram and TikTok and at Paige Wesley on Twitter. If you want to follow the show, you can on uh, Instagram at Colt Podcast. Or on Twitter at Colt Podcast Show. You can even send us one of these newfangled emails I'm hearing so much about. Electronic mail? Mm, sounds like a fad. Uh, mm -hmm. You can send us one of these fad mail service mm -hmm. devices yes. mm -hmm. uh, by uh, attaching your typewriter to a computer and typing out a message to coltpodcastshow at gmail.com. Or if you want to send us your slideshow from Burning Man, you can send it to 3756 West Avenue 40, Suite K, number 237, like, like the, shining. the Shining, Los Angeles, California, 90065. And those two zeros are titties. So Titties! <laughs> and I think for this one, I'm going to say... Don't drink the titty milk unless you have consent from the person providing the titty milk. How and does then, that sound? And then even then, maybe not. Maybe don't. Maybe a little bit. Unless you're a baby. Yeah. I mean, mostly babies, but it can't hurt you. Whatever. Okay, anyway. Okay. And don't drink the Kool-Aid. Bye. Bye. Bye.